Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Well, hey there, Shalligators. Welcome on back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get ready to receive the message. Let's roll our shoulders back. Relax our forehead. Relax our jaw, the inside of our ears. Breathe into our belly. We're not going to do a mantra this week, so I'm going to let you come up with your own mantra, just any sort of phrase that makes you feel calm. My go-to meditation phrase, as you know, is charcuterie. I have nothing but positive associations with charcuterie. A lovely meat board, perhaps cheese on there too, a little bit of honey, a petit cornichon, and it has a nice melodic spikiness. Charcuterie. So if you would like to use charcuterie to just calm yourself down, go for it. Let's inhale through the nose. And exhale through the mouth. One more time. In through the nose. Charcuterie. Ah, don't we all feel better? Sometimes just this 30 seconds of doing that is the only time... I breathe and relax during the week, you know? So, and I know that that's probably (laughs) true for you guys too. We all just get so wrapped up in grind culture and, and wound up in production, production, production. It is so important to stop. It's so important to check in with ourselves. It is so important to be evil. What? Shallon? Yes, yes. It is evil week. Evil week is in full swing. I know some of you guys wait for this week all year long. I do too. Evil week is when we can really just roll around in our sins, just revel in the wickedness. And the first two videos of evil week have premiered on YouTube already. We have lessons from Machiavelli touching on the sin of wrath because evil week is seven days, seven videos about the seven sins. We also have a video up about sloth, how to lie and manipulate other people convincingly. And the rest of evil week is currently premiering on Infstream. That's I-N-F- S-T-R-E-A-M. It's a $2 a month ad-free uncensored platform where we can really be super evil, which is amazing. So the video up today is about greed, I believe. No, it's about gluttony. I'm sorry. It's gluttony. How to be a slut and get away with it. How to hoe around, date a bunch of different guys, and basically gaslight people into thinking otherwise so that you can do what you want but still maintain that sterling reputation. Now, some people... They don't understand Evil Week, right? Why is she doing this? Ooh, she's so bad. She's so wicked. Yeah, no shit. That's why I do Evil Week, all right? Listen, we talked last week on the podcast about why we need Evil Week, why it's important to step into the shoes of wickedness sometimes and look at life through the lens of people who are predators and not in the fun, sexy way like we are, in like a very bad Ted Bundy way because we need to understand the tricks that are perhaps being perpetrated against us. Forewarned is forearmed. Also, it's just really fucking fun. But now I just want to touch on how to embrace your evil side because we have been conditioned our entire lives. Don't be evil. And I mean, good, right? (laughs) That is the, the mass conditioning we all want. 
Don't be evil. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. So it's very, very difficult for us, certainly if we have any sort of religious upbringing, which most of us do, to to kind of wallow around in this evilness. But look, we have duality. More than just duality. We have like not just dimensionality, trimensionality, quadmensionality. I don't even know if these are words, but we know that we have them. We are so many things. You know that song, I'm a million different people from one day to the next? That song, Bittersweet Symphony. It was in Cruel Intentions. Oh, incredible. It's so true. And it, I think it's especially true for women. We are so multifaceted. We're lovers. We're protectors. We're sisters. We're nurturers. We're bad bitches. We're, we're the virgin. We're the slut. We're all of these things. And so... Why can't we say, yeah, I'm a little bit evil too. And I'm tired of feeling bad about it. I'm tired of telling myself that, oh my God, these wicked impulses. What do you mean you want to fuck the entire lacrosse team? What do you mean you just want to lie and get out of doing all your work and pawn it off on Pam at your office? Why do we always have to beat ourselves up about everything that we feel and everything that we are? And those examples I just gave, those are extreme examples. You probably don't want to just do nothing at work, you probably have an achievement spirit. You probably don't want to blow the entire starting lineup of your D1 football team. I mean, maybe you do, girl. I can't blame you on that. But you might have flashes of those impulses. Flashes. And what do we do? We push it down. Ooh, no. No, no, no. Stop that. You know what we're doing? We are pushing down our intuition. And we are teaching ourselves that we shouldn't listen to what is going on inside us. We cannot trust ourselves. If I listen to this impulse, if I tell myself, oh my God, I have a crush on this guy on the football team, I'm going to end up sucking all of their dicks. I'm going to suck all their dicks. You probably won't. I mean, right? Have Have you ever done that before? No, I doubt it. If I let Pam at work take some of this work off my plate, if I assign her this thing, then you know it's just a slippery slope. And then I'm just never going to do anything again. And everyone's going to think I'm a complete garbage person and I'm going to get fired and I'm going to end up homeless. Mm, will you though? I don't think so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When we refuse to listen to our own inner evil, by extension, we turn the volume down, right? It's like listening to a radio. You turn the volume down, you don't hear anything. Even if you don't like this bad song, it ends, a good song comes on, you don't hear the good song either. So if you're not listening to the evil, you aren't listening to the intuition, right? You are turning the volume on yourself all the way down. Do you know why? Because you don't think you can be trusted. You cannot be trusted to receive a message and act on it appropriately. Whether that message is of wickedness, of sluttiness, of lying, of wrath, of greed. Or maybe if it's something that's smart. Hey, I need to break up with this boyfriend. Hey, this job isn't serving me anymore. Hey, I need to start studying and go back to school. You don't trust yourself. And so this is 
what I kind of have always wanted to achieve with Evil Week is giving you practice in listening to who you truly are, embracing it, and learning what to amplify, what to discard, what to listen to but discard, and where those two things meet. Because otherwise, we've just got blinders on. We've got our fingers in our ears. La, 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 I can't, no, I can't hear anything. I can't hear anything. And you know who we listen to if we're not listening to ourselves? Everybody else. We're listening to the internet. We're listening to the mean comments. We're listening to the teachers who say, you know what? You're not very good at science. You know what? You're a bad writer. You're never going to write a book. My uh, senior English teacher literally said that to me. Guess who got the very first fucking copy of my book? She did. We're listening to boys like, you know what? You're kind of fat. Why do you have so much pubic hair? We are listening to people who have zero business weighing in on our lives. And we don't know how to differentiate those messages from the messages that we should be listening to. You can do it. Go for this, girl. Apply for that job. Apply to law school. You got this. I believe in you. I love you. You're fantastic. We can't hear any of it because we are not practiced at listening and deciphering messages, filtering out what's inappropriate, and retaining what is good. And that has to start inside. And it has to start with evil. Part of the reason people go to Sunday school, Hebrew school, you know, Chinese school when they're younger, is to get this moral code, right? This is what our parents, it's like, well, I don't really, it's not that I care so much about being Catholic, I just want to raise my kid with some sort of moral code. What a moral code is supposed to do for you is give you a toolbox to make these decisions effortlessly, effortlessly and instantaneously on your own without the wrath of God, what the preacher says, what my mom's going to say, so that you govern yourself in terms of morality. And that's very noble. And a lot of times that does work. But we forget about the flip side. We only import those messages of do good, help thy neighbor, blah, blah, blah. We are afraid to expose people to the negative side, to the evil, because again, no one can be trusted. That is the pervasive message. No one can be trusted. We can't just trust society. But, but you know what? That's correct. We cannot trust society to police and govern themselves. So keep defunding the police. Let's see where that gets everyone. Good job. But on the micro, you can't just be trusted, teenage daughter, to go out and make a healthy decision because I have not ever allowed you to confront a little bit of evil, a little bit of wickedness, look it in the face and make a better decision. I have forced a moral code down your throat. I have forced you onto a path of behavior through coercion, manipulation, threats, and I'm dressing all of this up in a word called parenting, in a word called religion in a word called Christian virtue, Jewish virtue, Buddhist virtue, any kind of virtue, right? All these religions kind of boil down the same tactics at the end of the day, just different shades. So I want you guys to be able to do this for yourself. I want you to embrace evil because then by extension, you will embrace good. If you can listen to the devil on your shoulder, you can listen to the angel. So head on over to Infstream, I-N-F-S-T-R-E-A-M, Sign up two bucks a month. We will keep Evil Week rolling. I was even thinking about maybe doing a few extra bonus Evil Week videos. I don't know. I don't know. We'll think about it. But for now, let's talk less about evil and talk more about sex. <laughs> Aren't they so similar, right? On the Shallow Gator Reddit thread, which is where I source these questions from, head on over there. There's about 2,000 members. And you guys, it is such 
an adorable community. Nicole and Ashley are such incredible moderators. It's such a supportive, collaborative place. You guys offer advice to one another. I lurk. I love it. So I source these questions from there. And this one I thought was really good because it's about sex and I like to talk about sex. <laughs> Somebody said, I'm wondering where you all stand on what makes for good sex. In particular, I'm interested to know if it's common for women to expect a man to make her orgasm before him. I've never experienced it, but I see pros and cons to the idea on both sides. Also, is it common to have multiple orgasms? That seems intense. Oh, girl, try it. Look, okay. <laughs> Without getting like too graphic, because I think my mom listens to this podcast. Sex is like anything else. You got to practice to be good at it, right? I say this all the time, all the time. And not all practice happens in like a group setting. Hear me out. If you look at a musician, you know, <clears throat> a band, your favorite band, Fall Out Boy, love Fall Out Boy, legends. Those dudes practice their instruments on their own before they come together for band practice and they all play together. And they're like, oh yeah, like we, the chemistry's right and we play off Patrick who plays off Andy and blah, blah, blah. You got to practice alone too, girl. Do you know what I'm saying? I think you know what I'm saying. It is extremely important to practice your <laughs> instrument, shall we say, alone. Because you got to learn how everything works. You got to learn what you like. I've hooked up with girls. I am a girl. I own the equipment and it is still very challenging to hook up with a girl. To have to give a girl an orgasm is like you're climbing Mount Everest. And like I said, I am a girl. I've got I've got all the we're driving the exact same car, right? So for a guy to understand how to do this when really the only thing they have to learn from is porn and porn is I mean, we not, we not, come on. They're kind of like flying blind. And I remember in high school, uh, one of my guy friends saying, he's like, whenever I'm hooking up with a girl, I'm literally just sort of like fiddling around until she decides to tell me what to do. I'm like, what? Really? He's like, yes. I was like, you, you want the girl to tell you what to do? He's like, yes. I don't know what I'm doing. Look how complicated you guys are. And I was like, you know what? He's right. He's completely right. And I appreciated that. And so I that really seeped in. And so I'm very communicative. I'm not bossy. But if someone's doing something good, ooh, there's oohs and ahs and moans. And yeah, I like that. And if they're doing something I don't like, I'm not like, I don't like that. No. It's like, oh, a little harder, a little softer, a little slower, faster, to the left, to the right, whatever it might be. But I'm able to give those directions because there's solo practice, you know? I know my body very well. And I talk to my guy friends now, and like some of them have girlfriends, and I'm like, how's the sex? And my one guy friends, he's like, it's incredible. And they've been together for like four years. He's like, it's, our sex life is unreal. And I was like, tell me, tell me why. Like, I want to break down what unreal looks like to you. And he is a very sexual person. Oh, he's so good in bed. We fucked up before they started dating. Anyway, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. James, I hope you don't listen to this. But he's like, she knows her body. She knows her body better than any girl I've ever been with. I took that personally. <laughs> he's like, she's not afraid to tell me what she likes and what she doesn't like. And that makes me as a man feel more in control. It's like cooking without a recipe. I mean, you're technically going to make something semi-edible, but it's not good. Wouldn't you rather know exactly what's going to get you to where you want to go? 
And he's a very confident alpha male. Like this is, he's exactly the kind of guy we all want to date. He knows his body. He wants a confident woman because he is a confident man. He wants an alpha female because he is an alpha male. He's a pack builder, not a pack destroyer, right? But let's get down to the nitty gritty. Orgasms. Hmm. Is it common for a woman to expect a man to make her come before him? No, no. I look at orgasms as a nice bonus, a nice icing on the cake. I don't think any of us women, I mean, maybe some of us do. I feel like Nicki Minaj does because she's talked about it. <laughs> I don't think any of us hook up to like get off. We can give it to ourselves in 30 seconds. You know what I mean? Like with a vibrator. It's like, if that's the only reason we're hooking up, there is a lot shorter distance between A and B with a lot less headache. You don't have to wax. You don't need to brush your teeth. You don't need to deal with the boy and his wiener. So we hook up for connection. You know, that's what it's about. Like when I think back on the best sex I've had, it's, I don't remember like, oh, how many times did I come or whatever. I remember like looking in each other's eyes and putting my hands in his hair and like the kissing and it's the feeling, it's the chemistry. Guys are much more orgasm oriented because they're used to having them. Like the hookup ends when he has an orgasm. Like that's typically how it goes. I mean, his portion of it does. And so they're very focused on getting us across the finish line. And I usually tell guys, especially because I date younger guys and they're still very much in this mode and they're, they're trying to impress. And they, I think they think an older woman is like, if I don't have 10 orgasms, you're a fucking loser. I'm like, look, we're here for the connection. I don't, I don't. I don't care. And I never lie. They're like, did you finish? I'm like, no. They're like, oh my God. I'm like, hey, that's not why I'm here. That's not why I'm here. Is that why you're here? Am I just like this masturbatory receptacle? Am I just an orifice? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, then it's totally cool. If you are focused on that, we can get the vibrator out and we could do this a different way. And you can be involved, but something we can get to point A and B a little bit faster. So don't focus on that too much. Focus on the interaction and don't let a guy get too focused on that. Don't lie. Don't fake it. But you know, if it happens, it happens. But the way orgasms happen through sex truly is like a lot of practice, like with yourself. So the G spot is only three inches in and it's like on the top of your vagina, like belly button side, you know, not fanny side, <laughs> my technical terms. And you kind of have to like condition it. Like the more sex you have, the more you use your vibrator, the more it sort of like puffs up. It, it becomes, it's like a little raised cushy area. And it stands for Grafenberg, the doctor who discovered it. His name was Grafenberg. So it's called the Grafenberg spot. Isn't that fascinating? Oh. And the more you can like spend hanging out with it, the easier it's going to be to have G-spot orgasms when you have sex. Now, some of my friends only have external clitoral orgasms and I like I and they have it during sex. I think that's fascinating. The point is every body is different and there's no right or wrong way. And it's not wrong if you have zero orgasms. And it's also not unheard of if you have like three or four. I mean, it's not unheard of at all, you know? You know what I'm saying? But then again, you got to practice to be good at it. So the too long didn't read. Just, just focus on the connection. Don't let the guy get too focused on the orgasm. Give him a lot of positive praise. Be like, babe, I am having an awesome time, okay? And one of you guys said something great. Like, you said, I was never able to have an orgasm with anyone before my fiance. And I realized that guys before him didn't really care if I'd enjoyed myself as long as they got theirs in. You know, all I could hope to do was just like maybe 
come myself, but not really. Now my fiance makes sure I am more than satisfied before he allows himself to finish. Even in moments where I just want to tap out, he asks for one more from me before he gets his. And this is, I think this is so true. Like guys who don't even care about the experience you're having, it isn't, they don't just care or not care about the orgasm. They don't care if they're a good kisser. They don't care if they're cuddling you. They don't care if they're, they've got their socks on. Do not try to have sex with me with your socks on. Don't, I, I would kick a Hemsworth out of bed if he came to me with socks. No. It's kind of a widespread issue. And it's just sort of, again, magnified with this orgasm thing. But chances are, if a guy doesn't care if he's getting you off, he probably doesn't care if he's on time for dates, if he's in a clean shirt, if he's brushed his teeth, if he's asked about your day, if he's met your friends. There's just a pervasive vibe of, I don't care about you. I don't probably don't care about any girl, right? If you're going to go to the trouble of having sex with a girl, don't you kind of care if she's enjoying herself? What's the point? If not, stay home and jerk off and leave us women in peace. Let's just, can we all just agree to stay home and jerk off for like a month? Boys, girls, everyone, just no one's having sex. Women need to practice. Boys need to miss us. I really think I'm onto something. Do you guys think I should run for office? Is it too late? This could be an incredible platform. Biden, call me. This next question is both addressing a question and a bit of a rant from me. So there have been a few things that have come up about kids lately, both on the Reddit thread and in like celebrity life. Now, the first thing being Emily Ratajkowski is pregnant. She's, oh God, she said in an interview that she's not going to find out her child's gender until they're 18. (sighs) Okay, this is where we are. I guess, as a society. I just, you know, I know that this is going to be an unpopular opinion and feel free to try to cancel me for this. It's not going to work, but do your best. There, to me, is a big difference between going into parenthood and saying, you know what? Whatever this little thing comes out as, boy, girl, gay, straight, handicapped, left-handed, lover of mimes, I'm going to love it no matter what. I'm just going to love it and I'm going to roll with it because it's my baby. And the difference between it's not going to have a gender until it's 18. What does that even mean? Like literally, what does that mean? I feel like she's coming from a good place. I feel like she is coming from that place of, hey, if he's a boy, but he likes to play with dolls and dress up like Elsa. Great. I don't care. He's going to be fantastic. But it just... I feel like people are taking all of this into such an extreme place that, in my opinion, it kind of becomes the opposite end of the exact same spectrum. If you go into parenthood saying, you know what, if they don't come out straight as an arrow, a big old fucking redneck who loves to hunt and loves trucks, he's a little sissy boy and I ain't gonna love him. Okay, you're boxing that child into something, right? Something that it more than likely statistically isn't going to enjoy. To say that, like, they're not going to have a gender and I, what does that even mean? How is that very different? It's just a very extreme boxing in of almost liberalness. I don't even know how to explain this, but I just feel like it's, uh, I don't know. Do you guys agree with me? Is this just all seeming a bit 
much at this point. And let me make no mistake, I love Emily Ratajkowski. She is lovely. We have some friends in common and they're like, she's just the sweetest person. I love what an activist she is. She's so smart. And I think she's had such an uphill battle in a in a way because she's so beautiful. I mean, let's be honest, in a bigger way, her life has been incredibly easy because she's so beautiful. But you know, it's hard for pretty girls to be taken seriously. We know that, Shalligators. We're fucking stunners. We all are. Because we're stunners from the inside out, you know? And it's difficult. But I just read that and I'm like, girl, Emily. Also, also, Emily, you know who knows a lot about gender? Your trick-ass baby daddy because he fucks everybody. Like, this is the biggest open secret. I've read a million blind items that he sleeps with everyone. He is a clown. And she deserves so much better Ugh, I just, I wish she, she should marry Mario Cuomo or is it Andrew Cuomo? I don't know. They're both so handsome. She should marry one of the Cuomos because she's very political. She's super beautiful. Okay, we're going to move on from Emily. I just had to kind of get that out. So this was a question posted on the Shalligator Reddit then. She said, this is so interesting. I was reading a Vogue interview and this part stuck out to me. Is this why people have kids? So the quote was, when I bring this thought to my therapist, she explains that this is relatively common. Psychology du jour, she says, touts the concept that people may have children to redo their own childhood. They want to fix themselves and their traumas by trying again with a fresh start and a mini version of themselves. So is this true? When I read this and when I think about Emily Ratajkowski, I was like, you know, I can kind of see how maybe that would be at play for her right now. Like maybe she felt boxed in by being this beautiful, skinny, buxom thing. Like she never maybe felt like she had the option to be kind of a tomboy or the nerd who was taken seriously. And she is a nerd. I think both her parents are professors. Like she comes from a very smart family. She's a very smart girl. And so maybe that, this whole, I'm not going to raise my child with the gender at all. Is that overcorrection? Huh. Maybe that could be it. And maybe, yeah, parents do do this. Now, we've talked before about how we tend to date people who remind us of our most difficult parent precisely because of this. We want to redo that dynamic and get it right. I'm going to date someone who, you know, is, is gone a lot, like my mom was as a kid, but not too much. I want them to be gone, but then I want to be able to change that. I want to offer them a reason to stay until, of course, I get sick of them, which is exactly what I do all the time. So this is sort of natural. And I was reading the comments you guys wrote about this, this quote. It's like, oh my God, this is so fucking horrifying. And what if you said something really smart? You're like, my mother is extremely codependent. I am the person she clings to. And someone else said, my mom's similar. She's very reliant on me and my and my brothers, but she's very controlling because she doesn't want to change and she needs us there to fill this void in her life. So if we try to do anything that challenges that void, she'll say things to protect that. Oof, a lot of you guys are like, oh my God, me too. Now on one hand, I think it's noble that that's why people have kids. We hear all the time, my baby's going to have everything that I didn't. They're going to have the best of everything. I'm going to let them be whoever they want to be. And maybe this goes back to Emily. Maybe her parents were like, no, 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 no. You're going to be a model. Maybe everyone said that to her. Like, you can't not be a model. You're too beautiful. What are you going to, you're going to be a scientist? No, you're not going to waste those tits in a lab, sweetheart. Get out on the runway, you know? And so I, I do think it's noble for people to say, this next generation is going to be better than than this one. I mean, 
That's how it should be, right? What are we supposed to say? What's the inverse of that? Like, oh, I want to have a baby and raise them just as fucked up as I am. I want to give them all the same traumas I had. I want to deprive them of everything that I was deprived of and hated. I want to trick them in the way my parents tricked me. No, most healthy people don't say that. Unhealthy people don't say it either, but they do it and they think it. So is this truly a toxic thing, having a child to redo your own childhood? Well, again, in the positive category, most of my friends who have kids, their big selling point to me is like, you get to live your childhood all over again. You get to see childhood again through the eyes of your kid. You get to go to the pumpkin patches and and go to Disneyland and meet Goofy for the first time and just like watch them be so in awe and it takes you back there. And it's really special. And that's true. And that is so sweet. And why should we not want to redo our childhood? Childhood was fun. It was carefree. It was exploratory and passionate. But it's true that there can be obviously a huge dark side to this. If you are trying to essentially clone yourself and raise like this secondary surrogate version of yourself without all of your own bullshit, do I got news for you? Do I? news for you. It's not going to work. And most of us probably listening aren't moms yet, but we have moms and we may have seen this play out. I myself am a mom now of a puppy and I I know, I know there's nothing more annoying than someone who acts like their puppy parenthood is the same as human motherhood. I get it. I know that it's not, but it's the only example I've got right now. So we're just going to go with it. When Before I got cowboy, I had all these delusions of grandeur. Oh, I'm going to train him in German and Arabic and French. And he's going to he's going to be able to retrieve my cell phone just by me saying the word cell phone. And he's going to go find it under the cushions of the couch. Oh, God. <laughs> he's three and a half months old. He just learned to sit. My point is, when we project this image of what we need our child to be, Or in Emily's case, what we refuse to allow them to be, like uh, a boy or a girl, we just set ourselves up for failure and disappointment. And then that also tells me that maybe the reason we're getting a dog or having a baby is, has ripples of things that aren't healthy. Now look, nobody gets a dog or has a baby for 100% realistic, totally selfless reasons. I, You know, they're like 99% selfless, but we can't help but daydream about how this is going to go and how this animal, this person, this new job, this new boyfriend, this new town is going to be devoid of everything that ever plagued me, you know? And we can look at Emily and this overcorrection that I believe she's doing with how she wants to raise her child. And also, it's like, this to me is, I'm going to train my dog in German. Like, honey, get two weeks into sleepless nights and diapers, and you're going to be like, I don't fucking care what gender you are. I just want you to stop crying, okay? You can you can be all the genders once. It doesn't matter to me. Just please shut up. But like I said, I think most of us go into it with very altruistic reasons. But yeah, we can't help but project. And if we look at our own lives, we've probably done this kind of thing in other categories that aren't having a kid or getting a puppy. Like I said, moving. When I moved to Montana, I was like, my life is going to be different. I am going to be completely different. Every bad behavior won't exist anymore. I'm going to become a jogger. I'm going to jog. Uh, I don't jog. 
Okay? I don't, that's, no. I'm going to get up at six every morning. Uh, well, I do with a puppy and I hate it and I have to take a two hour nap every day, like also like a baby. So my point is everywhere you go, there you are. And if you're looking for a town, a boyfriend, a job, a best friend, a breast augmentation, a lip filler, a follow from a celebrity to totally absolve everything you don't like about yourself, to stitch yourself up, heal those traumas and propel you into a new level devoid of any emotional ouchie or bad behaviors and patterns, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And it's funny that people would do this with kids because I feel like there are enough kids in the world that we could look around and be like, yeah, no, that doesn't actually work. So if that's why you're having kids, maybe don't do that. Maybe like don't have them for that reason. I've been thinking a lot about parenthood lately. You know, just having cowboy and I'm getting older and I have a much more settled life now. I have a big house. There's plenty of room for a kid. There's room to make a family. And boy, oh boy, do I not want one. I just, oh, I want to want one. And I know you guys feel me on this. It's like I want every day. I open my eyes and I'm like, is today the day I've decided I just have to have a baby or I'm going to burst into flames? And it isn't. It isn't. I love my my puppy. I love cowboy, you know. But I've there's a lot of freedoms that have evaporated, you know, at least for the time being. He'll get older and become more autonomous for sure. But a baby wouldn't. You know, people like, oh, the baby stage is hard. I think the baby stage is easier. You can put them in a crib. They have a diaper. They're not talking to you. They're not asking you a billion questions. They're not telling you some pointless story about a fire truck that lasts for 15 minutes and then they sneeze directly into your eyeball and you get the flu. (sighs) It just seems like a lot. So in terms of like having a dog, maybe this is as much freedom as I want to give up. But I also think, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to have a partner who was kind of an opinion leader in that category. I've never dated someone who was like, I want a baby and I want a baby with you. And here's what, here's, I know how to build a crib and I know how to do this and I'm going to be up with them all night. Like, I've never had someone who was meeting me halfway in this, in this area. So maybe that would be a whole different ball of wax. Because in my mind now, I just picture being a single mom. I was raised by a single mom, so that's the only thing I have modeled for me. But also, and I know you guys feel this, we do fucking everything ourselves. Even when we have a boyfriend or we're dating someone, I don't feel like there's a lot of things taken off my plate. If anything, there's things added to my plate. Now I have another person I'm responsible for and and thinking about and planning my schedule around. And it's all wonderful. You know, you love them and you're happy, but it is not an absence of stress. It's an addition of stress. And not all stress is bad. You know, some things can be positive stressors. Traveling, I, I always see as like the ultimate positive stressor, you know. But it is still challenging. And it's, like I said, more things on your plate. I don't know. I feel like we kind of got off topic here. I sort of just needed to get that off my chest. But it is interesting to think about parents redoing themselves. And I believe that this can actually work out for the best. My mom did it. She had a very contentious relationship with my grandmother. And I mean, it, it really was my grandmother's fault. You know, I, I have always said, and I don't like to speak in absolutes, but 
well, I probably do. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> but when a parent and child have a problem, it is the parent's fault. I mean, it is. And I don't mean like a little nitpicky problem, like someone's not taking out the trash, the kid's lying about who broke all the eggs in the fridge. I mean like large scale trust issues, things like that. We as children are hardwired to love our parents. It's a survival instinct, right? We love you. You're the greatest. It's unconditional. Parents, we think a parent that's like, oh, I love my kids unconditionally. That's not true. Kids love their parents unconditionally, right? So when we see a rift, I mean, we got to look at the parent. And I grew up observing my grandmother and my mother's relationship, you know, and of at some point, look, when we all become adults, adults are completely in control of their own decisions, right? And so they've got they've got some onus on them for how relationships turn out for sure, but I believe it's the parent that starts things on that negative path. And as children grow up and become adults, yeah, they might continue it. And that's not okay. It just doesn't make for a harmonious relationship. But my mom had me and was the antithesis of the relationship she had with her grandmother. I mean, her, I'm sorry, her mother. You know, it was a highly trustworthy relationship I had with my mom. It's a highly supportive and, you know, one of the issues I think might have been at play was jealousy. I think my grandmother was jealous of my mom. And I think that happens a lot with mothers and daughters. A lot, a lot, a lot. Maybe it's jealousy of dad's paying more attention to the baby than to me or she has talents that I don't have or she gets sometimes it's even as simple as she gets to start over and I don't here I am 40 she's just 12 and she's beautiful and her whole life is ahead of her and my life is winding down I mean it's not at 40 but you know what I mean and that can kick up a lot for people and so it's truly to my mom's credit that she crafted such an incredible relationship with me. And, you know, part of it is just being an only child. And I've realized if I don't get along with her, it's going to be a really lonely life because she's kind of it. But my point is, trying to redo this childhood trauma doesn't always turn out terrible. It really doesn't. But it has to come with a modicum of self-awareness. And it really does have to come with therapy. My mom's always been a big believer in therapy. I've been in therapy for a long time. And I, I think it's wonderful. It's like going to the dentist. Like, why would you not clean out your mind the way you clean out your gums or even your closet? It's crazy to me. So I think if people go into parenthood or, like I said, a new town, a new relationship, a new job, a new haircut thinking this is going to be it this is it's all just going to be different now but it doesn't have any sort of self-awareness that's when the trouble starts that's when the trouble starts so don't look at this as oh my god we're all doomed everyone's parents are fucked up I can't have a kid or I'm going to fuck them up not at all not at all not even Emily Ratajkowski is going to fuck up a kid she's gonna be a great mom but just look at it with a little bit of self-awareness and not so much extremity well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.